you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I'm your host, Janine Garner, and it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you to today's podcast. We're in for a bit of a treat today because joining me on today's podcast is Andrew Baxter. Andrew is one of Australia's most trusted business, marketing and communication advisors, and his passion is helping organisations unlock top-line growth through sharp strategy and executional excellence. He's worked with some of Australia's largest companies, brands and government bodies, and and, um, over two decades, he was the CEO of the ad agencies Ogilvy and Publicis. He's now a senior advisor to both KPMG and BGH Capital and the adjunct professor of marketing at the University of Sydney. On top of that, he sits on numerous boards and he holds a plethora of qualifications and accolades for his work. Um, during this conversation, um, he shared his thought process around creating a business plan within 24 hours. Uh, we discussed at length the need to actually, if you can, invest in a crisis, uh, which obviously um, is worth considering, uh, given that we are currently all living in this moment of COVID-19. And because of this, we talked about how we need to create a plan to navigate both through the crisis and out of the crisis and the resilience that that takes and how in terms of resilience, it's about breaking things down one piece at a time. So um, enjoy this podcast. Um, Andrew Baxter is based in Sydney. Um, He has got such an incredible amount of experience. And he also is a regular columnist for The Australian for the last seven years. So his thoughts can be found there. Enjoy. And as always, if you have any questions at all, please reach out to me at janine at janinegarner.com.au. Enjoy today's episode. Andrew Baxter, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on my podcast today. Thank you for joining me. It's great to be on it. Really going to enjoy this, hopefully. Oh, we will. Uh, We met uh, quite randomly when we were in Macau together doing a speaking gig. And as always happens, it's the conversations after the event over dinner where you start exploring each other's backgrounds and that's where I went oh wow we've got to get we've got to get Andrew on this podcast you have such a great amount of IP and experience we need to sell it but we had fun didn't we in the quite unusual place of Macau (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was, but it was an amazing. It was a. It was like you know Vegas on uh, on steroids in Asia. But it was uh, it was it was a great few days up there. It is. We almost need to go back there. In our memories now, we're all locked up for the next few months. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so um, before we um, talk more about what you're doing now, because you're, you, the stuff that you're doing now is extraordinary in terms of on the back of a um, very significant career in the world of advertising and now you sit on boards of many organizations and are passionate about 
uh, everything to do with with business and marketing. Um, if we if we go back a bit, can you remember what you actually wanted to be when you grew up? Um, it's interesting. I, look, I think I was very sporty as a kid, so that, that was always one option. Could I, you know, do something in sport and uh, or you know play AFL or do something like that? And, and I think the other side of it. Weirdly, through my year twelve, I am denied between business and um, and physio um, because because of you know all my sport background uh, that that was uh, of interest to me. So, look, I ended up going down the business route. Interestingly, I probably didn't know enough about business. My my dad was uh, you know in business. My my grandfather um, you know was very senior at um, what was then Ansett Airlines, and uh, and and my uncle. Uh, well, two of my uncles were involved in advertising and marketing, so it was always talked about, but I didn't really understand enough about it. I ended up doing accounting for year one and realized that wasn't the side of business I wanted to go into and then switched into marketing. So I, I do think there was some subliminal um, things from a family point of view uh, in terms of particularly how many members of the family on my mum's side uh, are all involved in advertising and marketing. So that's that was sort of part of the, the little journey you find yourself on. But I often tell younger people now, I mean, I didn't really decide till the end of first year uni what I absolutely absolutely wanted to do. And there's so much pressure on young people now to tell people, you know, in year 10, 11, 12, what, here's what I want to do in my career. And, I, 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 you know, I'm a bit of an example of you don't need to do that. And you talk about year one finally almost having a, a version of a light bulb moment of, you know, yeah, this, is, this is what I want to do. Can you remember what it was that, that triggered this, this interest that you have in the world of advertising, marketing, business? I do remember one moment. I mean, I had already been doing, I think, a couple of years of studying marketing uh, at university, and I was on an international study tour. There was about 30 of us from Monash Uni that went uh, all around America, uh, and it was uh, to do a couple of subjects in – you almost had to write a thesis on how you'd export an Australian product to the US market. So it was a fantastic sort of 21-day trip, and, and Monash still do these trips to Europe and Asia now. And I remember sitting next to one of my really good mates and at one point I went into business with him and we were at school together, uni together, played AFL together and we're on a bus driving into New York, neither of us having ever been there before and all we were doing was analysing billboards on the freeway on the way into New York. And I think that was the moment I went, you know what, I think I'm, I think this is it. I think I'm stuck. Uh, this this is sort of the passion that, uh, that I've got. So uh, that was a bit of a light bulb moment that I was in the right place. And can you remember or think about somebody that has been quite influential in your career and who they are and, you know, what what they've done for you? I think besides some of those family members who, as I said, was more subliminal, I think, when I was growing up. But I think the, the person I often talk about is my first boss, a guy called John Peters. He lives down in Melbourne. I still see him and uh, have dinner with him as much as I can. Um, and uh, he... He had run three uh, of the major agencies back in the day, and I just um, happened to get my first job in advertising working for him. He'd uh, they'd won the Nintendo account at Young and Rubicam, and uh, and I was uh, I'd been at Gillette for a couple of years in more sales roles and switched across. And um, I think part of the deal John had done to win the Nintendo account was that he sort of ran the account, even though he was the MD of the agency. So here I was as a young account manager reporting directly through to the MD, and I. And he was great. I mean, I probably drove him completely mad asking him that many questions over sandwiches at lunchtime and uh, and all those sorts of things. But I think he was um, a really good mentor and still is to this day. I mean, that, I'm, I'm going back 30 years ago now, uh, and and he was uh, he was terrific in terms of you know someone to learn from. Um, you know who who certainly knew the industry inside out. Um, the way he dealt with people, the way he um, he related to clients and understood 
businesses and consumers. So yeah, he was a he was a, a great mentor. And so, what what exactly can you share the, your key work that you're doing there? What what is it that you're you're currently focused on? Yeah, look, I'm doing the what do they call it? The classic portfolio career where you've got multiple jobs. Um, you know, I've I've probably I originally set out to do half my new life in advisory roles and half in board roles. I'm probably um slightly over uh, on the advisory side now, and and uh, then the board board side is probably more like 65 35 but it, it's it's a, certainly a great mix and and the board side of things is is a is a longer term opportunity uh so from an advisory point of view I, i'm an, a senior advisor to kpmg's uh, customer branded marketing advisory practice they set that up uh, about two and a bit years ago and uh, it's, a, it's a pretty large practice now already within kpmg um i also do a similar senior advisor role for bgh capital which is the largest private equity fund in australia at the moment um, and I do uh, an adjunct professor role for the University of Sydney Business School, um, where I work closely with uh, the professor of marketing there. On on ma- marketing's changed so much in the last ten years through technology, so making sure that you know the marketing faculty there is teaching um, the most modern marketing techniques and tactics, and, and also researching them. Um, so you know that that's what, it is one of the few practices that is changing rapidly. Um, so I really enjoy that role and working closely with all the academics. Um, you get to you get to meet some you know very bright students at the same time. And then on the board side, I'm chair of Australian Pork, uh, the pig industry, which is you know a five billion dollar industry here in Australia, and and uh, and one that's uh, doing doing. Uh, fairly well at this point in time uh, and I'm also chair of a fantastic tourism attraction up in Cairns called Jabakai. It's an Indigenous cultural park and, uh, uh, you know, sadly in these times, like all tourism um, and travel assets, um, you know, it's temporarily closed but uh, that's certainly something that I think, you know, every child and person in Australia should should go through to really understand um, the, you know, the real culture um, of, of our country and, and the stories behind it. So uh, they and, and uh, so they're the main ones. I'm also um, I've just taken on a chair role with a, a great scale up startup uh, called Comtract, which which matches you know freelance PR professionals with uh, with projects in the marketplace. So so sort of three chair roles and uh, and three advisory roles. And yeah, so a classic portfolio career. What what is it that keeps you going? Um, what what's driving you, Andrew? Uh, look, I think you know. Someone asked me the other week what was my one word, and I said it's probably growth. I love growing things. You know, whether that's growing people, growing businesses, my own businesses, my clients' businesses. Um, that's what I get a real kick out of. Um, and. So, so I think that's what's driving me. The, the other part of that is diversity. I think when you run r- large advertising um, companies and groups, you know, and, and, and advertising companies now aren't just advertising, they're, they're you know, huge digital um, agencies that are part of that, CX agencies, data businesses, production companies, PR, et cetera. Um, I think that diversity has always excited me. You know, when I was uh, lucky enough to be running uh, publicists, you know, I could have had up to 50 or 60 clients. On any given day, give me a call and expect me to know what was going on. I, you know, I had twelve companies that um, that came through to me, and and you could have had therefore twelve MDs or GMs walk into your office or give you a call at any time. So you had to really have a, a great breadth of understanding, and you never quite knew what each day held. Um, and and I love that um, that your brain was constantly on. And I think doing a portfolio career now, and even the way I've chosen on my board side, sort of a startup scale up, along with two government. 
um, type uh, organisations that uh, that I'm uh, chairing, um, as well as the the advisory, anything from private equity to university through to you know one of the great um, uh, big four accounting firms. There is a diversity every day that I really enjoy, uh, and 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 I think so. Probably that growth and diversity. Um, and then the third part of it would be connecting people, a bit similar to what uh, you enjoy doing. I think, mm. you know, understanding, you know, when to when to connect the right people and having that ability to connect people and, and watching one plus one equal three. So what's, um, what do you think are some of the key choices that you have made over your very sort of uh, varied career that have ultimately got to you to where you are. So you were building a really solid career in the world of, of advertising um, as CEO of two, two big advertising agencies, and then you've pivoted and started something else. So what was it that drove that decision? Look, uh, it was interesting that same um, my first uh, that, that same first boss um, and, and mentor, John Peters. He always, um, you know, reminded me that the advertising industry was a young person's game, and that there weren't many forty-five-year-olds, sadly, um, left in many of the advertising agencies. And this is thirty years ago, and, it, and it's still true today. And there's been a lot of articles written on on whether that's ageist or not, or whether you know just. Um, people people have their time and move on so I was always cognizant of that and always and he always you know encouraged me to have a plan b at some point and and I sort of really looked at that plan b when I was about 40 uh, which is you know 10 12 years ago now uh, to see and, and that's when I started sitting on um, some really great not-for-profit boards uh, that I was lucky enough to chair quite a few of those as well the song room which is a great uh, organisation that puts music and drama programs back into primary schools that government primary schools that no longer have them. Um, the Lord Mayor's Charitable Foundation, which is the biggest community fund in the country. Obviously, I still sit on the Sydney Symphony Orchestra Board and the National Basketball League Board. So, sitting on some of these great boards was a something I really wanted to do, and I was giving back. You know, all of these were not for profit boards, uh, but at the same time, it was giving me um, some experience in what potentially could be. A, a, a pivot in my career at some point should I choose to take that. So, so that was really it was it was a long planned thing for me. I, I think sadly a lot of people in the advertising industry don't necessarily see that that will come one day and find themselves stuck when they when they do find themselves out of uh, out of an organisation at a certain age, um, as talented as they still may be. Uh, so, I was lucky to get some great advice and 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 obviously to have listened to that advice and, and, and made that call. And, you know, it wasn't one that was, um, you know, it was, it was hard work. You know, it seems easy now two years down the track that, uh, you know, I've, I've got, you know, a great portfolio of roles. But, you know, it's, it's hard work like anything to get there. So that was, um, that was a bit of the backstory. But it was, you said, it was, it was a bit of a planned thing rather than me just immediately going, hey, it's time to pivot. And you're obviously highly respected in terms of your level of thought leadership. You've been a marketing columnist for our Australian national paper, the Australian, for the past seven years. So, so given your your insight, your experience, the the breadth of organisations and clients that you have, what what do you see as some of the biggest challenges that we are facing right now? And if you could share, you know, three ideas, words of wisdom, uh, what would they be? What, what I'm encouraging people to do is to look at, I mean, A, this, you know, this the time we're going through is, is you know, everyone's talked about it, it's very unprecedented, but, but there are three 
or four major phases of what we're going through. And the first one is obviously around that crisis moment when it happened and and what to do. And, and the brands that did well and the marketers that did well in that moment in time, which is really the last six weeks or to eight weeks in Australia. And that was really about acting authentically. How do you help your community out? How do you help your customers out? How do you help your employees about it? It was actually less about making money. Um, it was more about um, helping and and, gen- and being quite genuine as a brand. And you saw really good examples overseas of brands like LVMH um, shifting their whole production of, uh, of beauty products into making hand sanitizer for French hospitals that needed them urgently. Uh, and then we've really now just kicked into you know what what I would say is living with COVID. You know we are we are living with this for a period of time. Where, you know we are all we've all been at home for two or three weeks, um, and and that could last for six more weeks or sixteen more weeks or twenty six more weeks. So from a marketing point of view, um, that that provides its um, you know challenges. And, and then obviously there's going to be a period where we do emerge into recovery. And how do you plan for that? And and there's sort of three types of brands that are so so in a way you've got a bit of a matrix so you've got those three time periods to manage through from a marketing point of view you've then you, you then sit in one of sort of three buckets as a brand you're either a what I'm calling is a booming brand like some brands like the supermarkets right now and the toilet paper and t- toilet tissue they are booming you know they're doing really well in this in this time so how do they act across those three phases then you've got brands that are sort of declining but surviving. Uh, and and there's different things they will need to do, you know, uh, along the way. Particularly in this um, in this time now, where they're very quickly being quite agile, quite customer focused, quite tactical about how they change. You know, a lot of the restaurants, local restaurants and cafes, have obviously very quickly turned into either online delivery businesses, or some of them are selling the produce they naturally buy, um, almost like gro- um, you know restaurant grade grocers so people are pivoting quite quickly in this in that period um for those that are declining and surviving and then sadly you've got the hibernating brands you know and the the most public of which are brands like um the the Qantas's and the AFL's and the NRL's who um you know sadly had to stand down a lot of their stuff so how did they act in this time of hibernation to set themselves up for coming out of that for the day that business reopens and how do you work backwards what's the timeline you need to switch that business back on um, and if it's six weeks or eight weeks, how are you planning now to make sure uh, that you've got everything in order that the minute that it looks like we can reopen a brand that that you're really really organised to do that? I think the other the other major lesson um, through all recessions and downturns has been that um, people that have outspent their competitors in marketing, and that could be in R and D, it could be in um, it could be a new product development. It could be in improving their supply chain, improving their product, inc- improving their customer service, or outspending in advertising. They've actually come out the other side really, really well. Um, there's a bit of a saying that there's no cheaper time to buy market share mm-hmm. um, during a downturn. And and you know if you look back, and there was a great case in the early 2000s in that in that sort of dot com boom where Apple just kept their foot to the floor, and out of the back of that came iTunes and the iPod or the iPod Mini. Uh, whereas Sony at the time, I think they they sort of cut back and took those short term profits, um, and but then for the next three years, by not uh, investing as much in R and D, unlike what Apple had done, their sales dropped by sort of double digit over three years on average. So there's plenty of examples of great uh, businesses where they've continued to put their foot down. You know, Am- Amazon, the Kindle came out during the GFC. 
so, so they really kept pushing some of these products. And, and there's certainly a huge amount of research that tells you that if you outspend your competitors in advertising during this period, it's a tough time to do it. But there's never been more eyeballs reading newspapers, looking at news online, um, watching television. I mean, daytime television has had a, had a resurgence while we're Is all it? sitting at home. So, so th- there's a whole can lot of things. Can improve it, please? <laughs> yeah, I know. So there's a whole lot of things people can be doing right now to set themselves up and come out the other side. There's also research that says if you can outspend, for example, in advertising your competitor by 10%, you'll pick up a 1% market share gain. So these are all the things, and it's really hard because you know the CEOs, CFOs, and boards have got control of those budgets. The initial um, reaction is to cut, cut, cut. Marketing and advertising is one of the biggest spends that any company has uh, that's, that, that is a variable thing that can be turned off quickly. But, you know, the history lesson is that those that don't and those that continue investing wisely, smartly, uh, will come out the other side in a better spot. What about people that are listening uh, that may be nodding their heads going, yeah, I get that. I get I've got to do all of that stuff, but I am absolutely spinning right now and I don't know which way to turn. From your experience, what advice would you give to people listening in that may be feeling like that and maybe what do you do to keep yourself sane when all around you feels like it's going insane i think you i think you really do need to compartmentalize things and 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 chunk things down into manageable pieces i often say this about growth of companies you know regardless of the covid times there's actually only five ways to grow a company uh, that is business as usual and how do you improve that there's, you know, you might launch new capabilities. You might launch in a new geography. That's the third. You might buy something, um, you know, an M&A, or you might do a strategic partnership with somebody. And they're the only five ways you can grow a company. And when, say, say you sit there and say, oh, I want to double the size of my company in two years' time, I say to them, chunk it down. Chunk it down to those five areas. And how much do you need to grow to double your business in each of those areas and how are you going to do that? And I think from a marketing point of view, it's the same right now. I mean, the world is spinning, but I think people need to sit down and go, okay, we are going through these phases, through this. What do I need to do in each phase? What to- what sort of brand am I? So therefore, you know, how can I compartmentalize? How can I break these down into smaller projects and I can get those done and I feel like I'm being productive by, you know, ticking those off. I, I think when you're looking at it from a holistic point of view, it, it can look really daunting. Have you got an example, Andrew, of where uh, maybe a massive failure that you've gone through or, you know, something similar where you've had to really dig deep um, that you can share and how you got through it and what you maybe learned from, you, from yourself doing that? Hmm, good question. I've probably got more in sport than I have in business. <laughs> it's been plenty it of failings there. <laughs> I mean, the, the learnings, I think, are the same, and that's that's what so many of us need to need to actually acknowledge that it's, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with my kids around the table, and I think right now those of us that are adults in the world, part of what we are hopefully teaching our children is this resilience, this this keeping going, this asking for help. And sometimes it is the everyday stuff versus the business that that learning is. So go well, for it. I, yes. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, you know, and I, I was lucky enough to play. I don't know, two hundred plus senior games of uh, of AFL, sort of a level down from the main the main one. Um, but you know, probably in that time, I don't know, maybe we won sixty percent of the games and lost forty percent. So there's probably a hundred times that you lost on a given day that you know you had to. 
immediately learn from. And, and what I loved about, you know, I often talk about feedback loops for, you know, for people. And I say, well, when you played AFL, you got your feedback loop was every 30 minutes. You know, when at quarter time, before the game, quarter time, half time, three quarter time, end of the game, you were being appraised and given feedback every 30 minutes. And, you know, and we often go through three years of our career without anyone giving us any sort of um, appraisal and feedback. So I think there was a lot of things about, you know, learning. And, and when you didn't, you know, in those days, you, you may not have played so well or you may have made, may have made a poor decision on the field um, or you may have not been playing well and got dropped down to second grade. I mean, they're all the times that you learn about resilience and, and picking yourself up and going again. And, you know, often when I talk to university students and do guest lecturing, I, I, I do talk about, you know, learning from these uh, failures. I mean, I, I, you know, that first year of accounting I did at university certainly didn't do very well at all and then had to get myself, you know, switched across into marketing, took a gap year, you know, labored for a year, um, got myself re-motivated and then went bang and, and did my three years of marketing and off I went. So, you know, there's moments in time where, you know, Life isn't doesn't feel like it's fair, um, but you've really just got to. I mean, I'm a bit of a glass half full type of person naturally, mm-hmm. so you've just got to pick yourself up and uh, and go for it. And I, I think, you know, certainly going through the GFC the last time, I, I was had just become a managing director, um, you know, of, of a larger organisation, Ogilvy Melbourne at the time, and and uh, we'd just gone through a merger. So, in fact, we'd merged three businesses together. So the likelihood of success through that was it was difficult because most agency mergers tend not to work in good times, let alone in, uh, you know, in tough times. So there was certainly a lot of learnings and, and some very wise people that I learned from through those periods of time. And, you know, we tried to make uh, as uh, as uh, smart decisions as, as we possibly could and, and made them, you know, quite quickly. Um, but, you know, I, I know that there was, there was many things that we probably didn't get right through those periods of times. So you just had to learn from and move on. And, 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 you know, I was talking about this from a marketing point of view recently with uh, the former um, CMO at uh, Chief Marketing Officer at Colgate, and he's a, a great friend of both my wife's and I. And in fact, my wife used to work for him for many years, and and uh, he's now you know in a really big job in uh, New Zealand uh, with Fonterra. And uh, and I said to him, oh, you know, it's sad that um, there's a lot of pressure on marketers nowadays around failure. And uh, and and he said, well, you know, you think back in the late '90s, we might have done 15 campaigns a year. And you might have got three of those wrong, but back then you just had to learn from those three and off you went. Whereas nowadays, then they might only be doing three or four campaigns a year. So if you get one wrong, it feels like a much bigger, a, a bigger thing. So, you know, I think that ability to take risks and realize that it's okay to fail. Um, yeah. You know, and you know, we are very quick in this country to knock people down uh, for failing once. Whereas you know, the classic Silicon Valley thing is, you know, you sort of got to fail twenty times before you be successful. So, you know, for me, you just got to learn from it. Um, don't be worried about it. Uh, pick yourself up and get on with it. So this this webinar is all about unleashing brilliance. Um, I absolutely believe everybody has got more capability than they think they have. Um, and why I'm loving talking to people like yourself is it's always fascinating exploring the journey to where you've got to in terms of unleashing your own brilliance. And as we know, that journey never stops. But from your perspective, what does what do you think about, what does it mean to you when I say that term, unleashing brilliance? I think it's, for me it's making the most of your potential um, and, uh, and that's all you can do. That's the controllable you have. That's your decision to do. Uh, is you know to to unleash whatever that um, opportunity or brilliance is within you 
is is your own call. And I think you know we often get frustrated with uh, when we see younger people who don't live up to their potential. Um, you know, whether that be in business or sport that I talked about before, or the arts. Um, and and for me, that's what it's about. It's about doing what you need to do. Um, you know, uh, well uh, every day to ensure that you are maximizing, optimizing your potential to therefore, you know, be the best person, the best self you can be. And given you've worked with so many people across industry, across generation, across um, demographics, what what do you see as the key things that get in the way of people doing that? Um. Well, I think conservatism is one that frustrates me. I mean, some some people are naturally like that. Um, you know, I tend to think that if you want to grow by 5%, then let's aim for 10. And uh, it's the, the likelihood is you'll get to five. If you aim for five, you'll only get to two and a half. So I think, you know, there is, um, th- there is that. Um, I think, uh, you know, g- getting people to rally as a team and, again, you know, business, and I've talked a little bit about sport today, but, you know, getting everyone to play their role and, and, and really um, motivating them to play that role that's going to benefit the team and the bigger picture is something that, you know, I think uh, business leaders can struggle with sometimes in how to do that. And every person is motivated in a, in a very different way um, in any organisation. So understanding your team and understanding how to get the best out of them Um is is very very important i think that can sometimes hold people back uh but you know someone once said to me that the the biggest role of a ceo is to sell hope and you know that that for me is you know selling that vision of where we're going being clear in it saying it's going to take us two or three or four years and and let's all rally behind that and go for it that that's when i see this work really really well Uh, when those when that's not there i think people aren't quite sure of what their role is um, and, and how they can be part of something and, and whether this organisation is going somewhere or not. Yeah, I love that 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 comment there, hope. Um, leaders are to sell hope and I'm imagining that now more than ever it's actually more important than ever that that's what leaders do. It's not necessarily about the weekly sales or profit but, but selling possibility and creating that hope that we will get to the other side. Who's who do you think is doing well right now from that perspective in terms of selling that message, or who are you seeing from a leadership perspective that's actually um, really leading people through this in the best way possible? Um, look, I think some of the medical practitioners who and scientists that we are starting to listen to, uh, we haven't necessarily been listening to them around other things uh, up until now, but I, I do think. Um, some of those people are giving us hope that we will get through the other side of it. I, I think some politicians are finally coming around to realizing that that's also, you know, their role. Um, uh, you know, I think I think it's quite early in the cycle from a business point of view to see who. I mean, I think there's some people that are doing really well in the short term in, in just doing the right thing and and messaging and and you know treating their employees really well and and just being really clear and succinct about decisions that are being made um, and for how long those decisions are being made. But I'm not sure yet. That we are, I think we're just about to come into a phase where leaders will be starting to think about, okay, what's the longer term look like now, um, and 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 what is the hope and what is that new vision for our business that we can get everybody rallied rallied behind on the way out of here. Um, mm. um, Andrew, as we sort of wrap up, I um, 
one of the things I'd love you to just quickly talk to, you mentioned offline that you are busy building a whole heap of IP around writing a business plan in 24 hours. Um, Can you just share with our listeners where that idea came from and why it's so important? Look, I think, you know, um, I think when I was um, looking after Ogilvy, I had 17 companies reporting through to me and publicists, I had 12. And through that, you needed some sort of framework for each of those businesses so that you knew when a, an MD or a GM came into the office, you could really focus on the important things. And and I think through that period of time, and, and certainly in my time at WPP and STW, they had a very, very good executional um, planning process um, that uh, that uh, that I that I quite liked, and I you know like anything, you think there's a few things that might be missing, and so you you create your own version of that, and then you know I, I sort of read and listened and learned from a whole lot of different things around how you build a great strategic plan, how do you build a great three year plan that's completely integrated from you know um, what what your uh, uh, you know what, what the why you exist, uh, that your, your real purpose, through to what is that succinct elevator pitch in layman's terms that anybody in the organization can can explain what are the examples of that uh you know what is your vision that we talked about before what is that hope um you know how do you chunk that down into bite-sized bits so that it's a believable hope both from a um you know a a messaging point of view and a, a financial point of view and then what values do you need within the you know what what are you going to value in your people to deliver that and and then how are you going to drive culture through symbolizing you know, that behaving around those values, how you how you set up systems and processes that that fit within that vision and values, how you set up, um, uh, um, you know, the, the symbolism around that. You know, often people talk to me, oh, we're going to be we're going to be really, um, it's going to be all about collaboration now. It's really going to be about team, and then they'll have the the leadership team sitting upstairs on one floor and everyone else sitting downstairs. Well, that's certainly not a symbolism of of collaboration. So, so, so. You know what happened is that uh, when I sort of you know left and switched to, out of out of the advertising world and, and in my bit of, in my gardening leave uh, before I, I kicked off all my portfolio of, um, roles and you know quite a few of my friends in business rang me and said oh can you just come and have a look at my business and and I thought well you know what they really need is a strong business plan there's so many businesses that just don't have a succinct clear very easily understandable by anyone in the organization business plan. So I started playing around, you know, with all that I'd learned um, over time and created um, uh, something that turned into sort of four, six-hour sessions with leadership teams. The first two worked through to get your strategic plan over that three-year period locked away. And then the last two around how do you execute that strategic plan with excellence over year one and what are the 10 most important things you need to do to execute that plan. And so, in the end, you know, um, fortuitously realized, realized after talking to somebody that, uh, you know, it was a bit like a 24-hour business plan because it was four six-hour sessions. So, look, I've run about 15 of them in an ad hoc way um, in the last uh, last 12 to 18 months, you know, in my sort of spare time. I'd always left about 20% of my new life free to do some private consulting or potentially to pick up another board role if something interesting came up. So it's been uh, it's been something that uh, you know now that I've seen it in action and it's sort of just uh, like all these uh, all these interesting little business ideas that some of them just just grow. Um, so yeah, so now I'm uh, now I'm in the process of writing a book around it. Um, I've, I've uh, set it all up so that it's it's very easy um, to run and to manage, uh, and uh, you know looking looking to 
potentially roll something out at some point it's uh it's uh, you know at the moment it's sort of been more family and friends type of uh, type of thing but it, there's certainly i'm certainly realizing there's probably a lot more in it than uh, than what i'd realized Mm, it's so exciting. I think the world absolutely needs it right now. We'll absolutely need it when we come out the other side of where we're all currently living. So as I wrap up, um, you know, we often ask people what's next, what's the next big plan, what do you, the equivalent of what do you want to be when you grow up? My, my bigger question is what do, what do you want to be remembered for, Andrew? Um, I think what I hopefully and remembered for with all of this is just as, as a trusted advisor to people. Um, and, uh, you know, through that um, you can be either helping businesses grow, as we've talked about, you can be helping not-for-profits um, really um, help them meet their purpose um, through, through you know, really great advice. Uh, so, so I think, you know, hopefully that's, that's the – that's what I'm, you know, remembered for, um, you know, and, and, and that whole 24-hour business plan idea, what I've liked about that is it leaves them with something that's accountable. It's not just a bit of paper that sits in the drawer. It's something that, you know, here's the things we need to do next to deliver on this. Um, and so that sort of accountable, trusted advice, um, hopefully, is, uh, is, is what comes off the back of all that. Well, I think all of those organisations, clients, individuals that you are already working with and supporting would absolutely agree that that's exactly what you are doing. Um, Thank you for your time, Andrew. Um, It's just wonderful to have your insight and to be able to share your wisdom. There's so many wonderful nuggets of advice there. Um, How can people find you if they want to explore more? Uh, yes, I, my website's just andrewbillybaxter.com.au. Billy's been my nickname for about 40 years. Um, thanks to a Paul Kelly song, I want to be like Billy Baxter. Um, so andrewbillybaxter.com.au is the easiest way to find me. On, on the social media, I'm andrewbaxter3 uh, on all my social channels. And I'll add all of that into the show notes too. Thank you, Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Great to talk. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.